Well, aloha and good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you happen to be. It's a little after 10 a.m. here in Maui, Hawaii, 1 o'clock on the West Coast. 20 hours GMT, nice to be with you for the Mystery School. Today our topic is spiritual but not religious. What in the world does that mean? That's what we're going to talk about today. When people say they're spiritual but not religious, boy, that's a big area. Are there some conclusions we can draw from that? Are there some generalizations we can make? And what is the reason for this emergence of people rejecting religion and yet honoring the fact that they are spiritual beings? This has happened rather spontaneously. A recent Newsweek magazine poll I referred to in our newsletter this week says it's 30% of us. Just two years ago, the polls said it was 20 to 25%. So it's growing, whatever it is. And we're going to, as I say, do a little presentation here. I'll make some comments about what I think is going on what I think it's all about, and then in just a little while we'll go to questions and comments from you, either by text or by telephone or Skype. You can listen and and participate in either way, by text or by voice on telephone or Skype. In any event, it's good to have you here, Um, and to those of you who are listening via podcast or streaming audio, Thanks very much. Appreciate it. I'd like to encourage you to go to my primary website, theagelesswisdom.com. The word the is part of the URL, so after the W's, .theagelesswisdom.com. Press the Enter button to go inside and then click on Webinars, and you'll see the archive of 100 and. 60-some programs, 160 of these classes. Uh, It's pretty far out, so you can listen streaming and, again, subscribe to an automatic download known as a podcast at that same website or at the iTunes store or at most major podcast directories. If you go to the iTunes store especially, but a lot of the podcast directories have this feature also, if uh, if you could, if you would, leave a rating and a comment. It really is important to those of us that do podcasts because it, uh, to use the terminology of the Internet, it drives traffic. It creates an awareness and a buzz, especially if it's new and current. I think I've got about a dozen comments in the iTunes store. They're all real nice, but I won't tell you. you know, give me at least four stars or five stars. That would sort of defeat the purpose. Um, Whatever you truthfully feel is an accurate rating based on what you get out of this webinar. Um, And then a couple of comments uh, to help other people that are browsing through the store decide, is this something I want to listen to? So I'd really appreciate that. Some heartfelt, genuine and sincere comment at the iTunes store or whatever podcast directory you use to, 
to sign up for the free feed. Uh, before we get started, I have a little uh, sound bite of our premium audio series that uh, by subscription is only 99 cents a week, and I think worth much more than that. And I've decided to play a couple of minutes, just a short clip from one of our recent programs so that those of you that listen to the webinar here, but for whatever reason, haven't checked out the premium audio program, which my business partner of 35 years, another expert in human potential and personal and spiritual development, Steve Snyder, and I do together at our sister website, FocusedPassion.com. So settle back. As I say, it's just a couple of minutes, and I think you'll, uh, I think you'll enjoy it. This is from just a couple of weeks ago. It's a program we did on the subconscious mind the week before, which would have been about a month ago. We did a program on the conscious mind, the nature of logic and volition, free will, willpower. And then the following week, we did the subconscious mind, and we described the five faculties or talents or abilities of this other 90 to 95 percent. Uh, you've always heard, I'm sure, since childhood that you only use 10 percent of your brain. Well, that's on a good day, right? Uh, it, as we become more and more stressed, that number goes down. Most people are banging around 3 or 4 percent of their potential. It's really hard to say because we're not sure what 100 percent really is. But this is a short couple of minutes sound by three minutes or so of Steve and I talking about the powers of the subconscious mind. We At this point, we drop in on the program. We've already talked about creativity, which is the first of the five faculties, and we've talked a little about memory, and we introduce the third of the five faculties of the subconscious in this clip, which is emotional feelings. So uh, we'll be right back. As I say, this is from our premium audio program, studio quality program that I do every week with Steve Snyder. So here we go. Hope you enjoy this. So there's an elegance to accessing the subconscious mind, especially in these first two areas, creative thinking and memory to be more receptive, to pull more out, if you will, or to allow more to flow into your conscious awareness, more creativity and a richer memory, you've got to be motivated but still feel safe and relaxed. And where does that motivation or feeling safe and relaxed come from is really the next aspect of the subconscious mind, and that's emotions and feelings. Uh, feelings are part of the subconscious mind. The conscious mind can be conscious of a feeling, but the feelings, the emotions, exist within the subconscious mind. And there's lots and lots of feelings, or you could say there are two. You know, there are love-based feelings and fear-based feelings, lots and lots of names for all those kinds of things. But really, there's this voice inside of you. We call it the ego-based voice that feels unsafe, that pushes you away from what you don't want. And then there's this other quieter whisper voice, a higher consciousness voice, a voice that feels like love, 
that's telling you to move toward what you do want, toward, toward what your heart desires. And, and emotions, whether they're, they're the feel-good kind, the feel-bad kind, the positive love kind, the negative fear kind, they're, they're part of the subconscious mind. And, and whereas uh, the conscious mind is, we often use the metaphor, is the steering wheel, the, the subconscious, you could look at the, the emotion part of the subconscious is the gas pedal, the passion emotions, the love emotions, and then the fear-based emotions would be the brake. That's exactly right. And another way that we know that the emotional nature is in the subconscious mind, the imagination, rather than the conscious mind or the will, is that when we receive creativity, the first faculty we've talked about today, we get that good idea, that light bulb pops on and you get the aha. Or when you remember something, especially if you've been trying to access it and Oh, yeah, suddenly it pops into your head. Again, the light bulb comes on. It, it, it comes as if it's light, like might be the dawning of an idea, and you might be thunderstruck, or it could be that light bulb that, oh, I see now, right, in light and meant. Well, whether it's creativity or this second faculty, memory, both of these arrive with a feeling. That eureka illumination, that aha experience has a nice, warm, fuzzy feeling that goes along with it. To use the conscious mind to be logical, deductive, rational, reasonable, well, there's a certain satisfaction that goes with solving the problem, deductively, logically figuring out the best course of action, certain satisfaction, but it doesn't feel like, oh, uh-huh. Oh, I remember. Or, oh, you know what I just thought of? What a Gosh, I just got the best idea. So because creative thoughts and memories that come from the subconscious carry this strong affect of illumination or realization, we know this is the source or the seat of the emotional nature. So we look at the aspect of human mind that we call emotion, such a important part of who we are. And the metaphor of a river always comes to my mind when I think about emotions because it really has so many aspects. Like emotions can be deep or shallow. They can be clear to easily see through like calm or they can be turbulent where you can't see into them. They can be hot or cold just like water can be. The secret, of course, to understanding your emotions is to slow down, relax, make the water calm. So whether it's hot water or cold water, whether it's fast running or slow running, whether it's shallow water or deep water, no matter what kind of emotion it happens to be, you can look into it and understand it. And that's one of the aspects of the subconscious mind that not only does it have emotions, but it has the ability to step back and see those emotions, experience those emotions from a higher consciousness, which is yet another aspect we'll be talking about. But the subconscious mind's emotional nature is such a powerful foundation for all that we do. When when we have focus on something, but we don't add the passion, we don't add the emotion, the, the focus shifts to the next thing that comes along through the stream of consciousness or through the five senses perceiving, and then, then to the next and then to the next. It's when we add emotion, it's when we add passion to the focus that we move into this state-focused passion, this powerful paradise alpha brainwave state that the two minds come together in harmony and create this amazing intensity, this, this amplified passion and interest, total focused concentration state that comes together 
when emotions add to the focus. So emotions play powerfully as a subconscious entity with the conscious entity of, of awareness, of focus, because we go where we look, and so as we focus on something, our emotions follow that. And then, of course, our emotions cause us to have other thoughts that are even more powerful or more wonderful as they get motivated by the passion coming through us. So thoughts cause feelings, cause thoughts cause feelings, and back and then feeling, feeling, thought, thought, feeling. It's a wonderful interplay, but it starts with the understanding that when the spotlight of consciousness is focused on something without passion, without emotion, it'll shift to the next thing. It's only with passion that that spotlight stays focused. Okay, so there you go. That's a little soundbite from our premium audio program that's just 99 cents a week. These programs average anywhere from 45 minutes to an hour in length. They're studio quality. If you're listening on the phone now, it might be hard for you to tell. But uh, when you get these, they come at a very high bit rate. They're compressed and normalized and uh, sound really, really good, really CD quality, if you will, or better than FM radio, actually. And uh, so check that out at our sister site, Focused Passion. Dot com. There's an ED in there, the W's dot focused passion dot com. You can uh, listen to some excerpts right there on the splash page. If you click the big button that says get the free sample programs, you can simply by leaving your name and email and choosing a password get a free account. And that will give you six complete sample programs you can check out. Uh, before you risk the grand fee of $3.96 a month. Also, with the free account, you can buy programs from the archive. Individual programs are $4.95, but when you subscribe, they're only $0.99. Cents. So like a magazine, you get a nice deep 80% discount. And there's no contract. You can unsubscribe with a single click at any time. And you'll always have the free account you'll always be able to access the programs that you've purchased as well as the free programs we give you up front. That website will always be available to you. So uh, you can also click a button and download them into your podcast folder. Technically, they're not podcasts because they're premium audios. So check it out, focusedpassion.com, and we're cranking out 52 of those a year. We've got about 170 of those programs in our archive. I think it's the premier program on the Internet. Well, going back to today's live webinar, Spiritual But Not Religious, what in the world are we talking about here? I, uh, as I often do before one of these webinars, did a little Google search and actually found a couple of websites that refer to themselves as SBNR websites, right? We're down to the initials. <laughs> Excuse me, SBNR, spiritual but not religious. One that popped out at me, it's actually grabbed the URL, sbnr.org. It's a blog site. Uh, a fellow named Steve Frazee. Uh, does it? I don't. I don't know. Steve have never met him, 
But I like the phrase that he uses in the banner of the website right up top. He says, love is the answer, and you are the question. You know, that really simplifies spirituality, doesn't it? I think it's a great definition of what it means to be spiritual but not religious, or spiritual if not religious. I'm one who believes that love is the answer and I am the question. I like that, right? And he also makes four statements in one of his blogs that I made note of so I could share them with you because I I agree with his conclusions here. Um, They're sort of negative statements, things that spiritual but not religious is not. And the first is, he says, um, SBNR does not speak for the community of spiritual but not religious people. He's just one of the crowd. He says, this website is not the definitive website, which indicates to me the guy is fairly humble and uh, probably really is spiritual kind of a guy. The second is, he describes spiritual but not religious as a lifestyle, but not something you join. It's not a membership group. Third, he says, there is no one SBNR perspective, no one right way to be spiritual but not religious, um, which is sort of obvious if you think about it. If there were one right perspective, then it would be another religion, right? <laughs> and the whole idea is I'm spiritual but not religious, so I'm not into the one right way. And his fourth point, people who are SBNR are not categorically anti-religion. This certainly speaks for me. I'm fascinated by all religions. Sometimes I really relate to what Gandhi said about being a Hindu and a Buddhist and a Muslim and a Jew and a Christian and a Taoist and a shaman and you know, a, a, a Wiccan and on and on and on, a pagan, a pantheist, what do you got? Um, to study religion comparatively is certainly to become not only uh, better informed and I think better uh, uh, in terms of intelligence, wiser, that's the word. The word really is wisdom. That's what a study of philosophy and comparative religion will do for you. And if you notice in people who describe themselves as religious, the more vehement they are, the stronger they feel about their particular religion being the one right way the less they tend to know about any of the alternatives. Isn't that interesting? You might think the opposite would be true, that the more people study comparative religion and philosophy, 
the more certain they would be that their way is the way. But that's not the case. It's usually those who know the least about the alternatives who hold on more strongly. What did Barack Obama say uh, about uh, many Americans uh, who are not nearly as well-educated as they could be, the least educated among us, gripping their guns and their Bibles. You know, the right wing has always been guns, gays, and God. That's Those are, you know, one way of talking about what does right wing mean. It's a little more complicated than that. But the idea of, of, of clutching, of holding on to something for fear that it's going to be taken away. Do you see that any holding on is really a fear response, right? Fear is carried in the body as muscular tension. So when you find your your hands coming into a fist, ready to fight, to attack, or you may call it defending yourself, that's not only an anger response, it's a fear response, right? And so we know all anger and all hatred is fear-based. Well, in the same way, any holding on uh, tends to be generally a fear response. And fear has a primary relationship with things unknown and confusing and ignorant. So I don't mean stupid. I'm talking about ignorant, choosing to ignore. So, you know, if you were uh, born in Calcutta, there's a very strong likelihood that you'd be a Hindu. And if you're born in the Middle East, strong likelihood you're going to be a Muslim, unless you're born in Israel. And then you're most likely going to adopt your parents' in that case, religion and the culture, and be a Jew. And uh, most people born in the United States end up calling themselves Christian. Is it because they don't know any other way? Of course, we're a nation of immigrants, and so we have Jews and Muslims and Hindus and Buddhists and, and uh, you know, a, a wonderful mix available to us here. But most people are not interested in that mix. So uh, I just think that's bizarre that the more certain somebody is that (laughs) they've got the one right religion, the more likely they are to be ignorant of all the others. And I think that's part of the problem. So what's this mean, spiritual but not religious? It means I've looked at religion and I find it too dogmatic. I'm going to tell you what I think it it means to me anyway. Again, there's no one, I agree with this man at sbnr.org. Steve Frazee, is that his name? Let me look again. Yeah, Steve Frazee. I agree with him. There's no one right spiritual but not religious position, but I'm going to give you mine. Um, I think essentially it begins with having rejected the orthodox religions, especially the more rigid and dogmatic versions of religion, which often are promulgated as matters of faith, 
that you don't really have to understand this religion. You just have to believe it. In fact, you're not supposed to study it, and most Christians don't. We're mostly a Christian society, and most Christians do not read the Bible, have never read the Bible. As strongly as they may feel about it, it's largely a matter of hearsay. Um, a lot of fundamentalist Christians know the Old Testament better than the New Testament. They may, they may fight to have the Ten Commandments on the courthouse lawn, but they don't seem to be interested in the Sermon on the Mount, right? Or the Beatitudes, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Um, and, of course, the admonitions to um, reject violence, turn the other cheek, to walk the extra mile, uh, to forgive your your debtors, your uh, these kinds of things often, though they're core Christian beliefs, are often overlooked by the element of Christianity that has become political and tried to blur that line that our forefathers created with the First Amendment. Congress shall make no law respecting the establishment of religion. Uh, that's known as the separation of church and state. But when that line gets blurred, then we start talking about the one right way again, as if your religion and the Constitution <laughs> are all one thing. And, of course, the Constitution is about not only freedom of religion, but also freedom from religion, right? So again, as I mentioned in the Newsweek poll, or as I mentioned in our newsletter this past week, uh, a recent Newsweek poll said, we're talking about 30% of us being spiritual, but not religious. So I think it's the inconsistencies in religion, the contradictions in the holy books, the insistence that these books are the infallible word of God, when much of what's written in them people can no longer accept. Again, in our newsletter this week, I talked about the Bible's promotion of slavery and that uh, there's an admonition. I've got chapter and verse in the newsletter that says you should be stoned to death if you work on the Sabbath. We can't even agree on whether that's Sunday or Saturday, right? But I don't know anybody that really thinks you ought to suffer capital punishment, be killed or publicly stoned because uh, you use a telephone on Sunday, right? Or I'd be in big trouble, <laughs> uh, you know, even using your computer on the Sabbath would be uh, the death penalty. So, you know, and eating shellfish, is that really an abomination? The admonition against cutting your hair or trimming your beard. Uh, the the repression of women, you know, the red tent, that women are untouchable during their period um, and are lesser beings. This is not found in all religions, but it's common to religion. And, of course, many women and men are going to reject this offhand. 
not even to discuss the miracles and the talking animals and the other unbelievable things that we find in all religions, as people get better educated and more critical in their thinking, it's inevitable that they're going to reject any literal interpretation by that. Reformed churches and temples and synagogues are those that grow and evolve and tend to interpret these stories as they were intended to be interpreted metaphorically. In fact, in the New Testament, one of the Gospel writers, I think it's Matthew, as I recall, um, quotes Jesus as explaining why he teaches in parables and metaphors and why he should never be taken literally. Right, And then he talks about having as much faith in yourself spiritually as this mustard seed has in its ability to become its full potential. And if you had that much faith, you could tell the mountain to go from here to there, and, and faith moves mountains. Again, obvious allegory, right? If you took everything literally, then the idea of being born again would mean reincarnation, but most fundamentalist Christians go, no, 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 that's not what that means. Well, wait, I, th I, th I thought you were taking all of this literally. No, no, not that part. And not the part about you can't cut your hair or you can't eat shellfish or you can't work on Sunday and slavery is okay. There's three or four Old Testament quotes that promotes slavery. This could not obviously be the infallible word of God. And yet, conveniently, it's overlooked. That resistance to getting real, to growing and evolving as a religion, a belief system, as people grow and evolve, is, is pushing people away from religion. And yet, they seem to feel connected to something. And so this is, well, I'm spiritual, but not religious. And maybe I've... So I'm saying it's more than, uh, it's more than I've stopped going to church or temple or synagogue. It's I really reject the literal interpretation of this stuff. It's just there's just too much nonsense mixed in with the wisdom. And mixed in with the truth is a lot that is obviously not true. And if you keep insisting this is the infallible word of God, well, that drives me crazy because it's just too many contradictions in Christianity, in Judaism, in, in uh, Islam, in, in Buddhism, in Hinduism, Taoism, what, 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 whatever religion you pull upon. You're going to find these inconsistencies, these contradictions. Okay, I think some religions have fewer and others have more, but I'll leave that to you to decide. Obviously, I'm not going to dictate to you what it means. I'm just giving you a sense of what I think generally uh, is causing this phenomenon. Thirty percent of American adults. Now say, no, no, I'm not religious, but hold on. I am spiritual, meaning they sense a connection to all that is. 
Now, I'm going to go to the questions in just a couple of minutes. So if you're on the telephone and you want to make a comment or ask a question, engage in a little discussion, just press star 2 on your telephone or your Skype dialer, and that will indicate to me through the computer magic that that you want me to uh, answer your call. And we'll bring you on, or if uh, you're on the web and you want to use the text box, go ahead and do that now. And we'll go to these questions and comments in just a minute. A couple other things that I'd like to mention. Most people who describe themselves either as spiritual or religious believe that God is a single entity. Even uh, the so-called, uh, um, trying to think of the word, uh, polytheistic uh, religions like Hinduism that have many gods, or paganism has many gods, uh, these systems still have a supreme ruler, the idea of a chairman of the board, a CEO, in heaven, the one single boss that's running the show. Nevertheless, it's the tendency of religion to see this single unifying aspect of divinity as being separated from its creation. This is a very important point. God, the creator, the source, in religion tends to stand outside of its creation as a form often depicted as a human form with arms and legs and a face that looks like a human being, long gray beard, sort of a ceiling of the Sistine Chapel kind of, uh, I think it's idolatry myself, but personification at least of this divine energy. To see it as form may be to create a false idol. Uh, to create God in our image and project upon it uh, human emotions, for example. Well, God hates this, and God hates that. And a misinterpretation of awe to mean fear. You're supposed to fear God. Well, if God is love, why would you be afraid of it? It's a misunderstanding. It's awe. It's, it's <laughs> you know, the Bible's been translated to be in awe, to be blown away, right? It's awesome. My God is an awesome God. We sometimes hear people sing that song. Well, much of, most of, I'll say the, <laughs> the vast majority of all religions have separated this single God and made of him a human form, or made of him, made of it, there you go, or her, a human form that lives way out on the edge of creation someplace, or maybe behind the veil that separates the physical from the spiritual. 
and very remote and uh, hard to reach. And it may say God is everywhere, but still it's based on this image that it's very far away, lives in a castle in the sky. And again, intelligent people, well-educated people in the 21st century have a problem with that. And increasingly, I believe people who describe themselves as spiritual but not religious are thinking of divinity, of the one God, as in all things. Or that all things are in God. And panentheism, not pantheism, but panentheism, is a concept that both of those things are true. Pantheism is God is in all things. It's often described as God is the equivalent of nature. But people who oppose that think it's demeaning and degrading to equate God with the weather and the animals. Snakes and snails and crawly, creepy things are God, too. In other words, maybe... God didn't create all these separated beings, but God is all these separated beings. And generally, I think people who describe themselves as spiritual but not religious are people that sense that, I'll call it spiritual ecology, that everything touches everything else, everything somehow is connected, Every seemingly separated thing is really part of one thing. The one thing, the one life, the one God. That God is in everything, pantheism, but at the same time, everything is in that which we call God as a container. That nothing exists outside of God. It's a feeling that people have that increasingly they're beginning to honor and even speak about. I think that's kind of a unifying element in this apparent movement of spiritual but not religious. And I think another element I just want to touch on, and then we'll go to the questions, is the idea of an oversoul that that. Your spiritual nature, your higher self, so to speak, uh, is already in heaven. That Adam and Eve, Eden, is heaven. And to be driven out of the garden is to go into incarnation. Eating the apple means coming to earth, a willingness to come to the earth. All right, The snake myth is not found only in Adam and Eve, but in the creation stories of virtually all religions and all cultures in one way or another, as Joseph Campbell has pointed out, Mr. Snake keeps showing up <laughs> for a lot of reasons. All right. Uh, the Native Americans revered the snake as representing life itself. The Ouroboros, uh, the uh, old metaphysical symbol of the circular snake devouring its own tail. There's a lot of positive snake imagery as well. But the idea that Eden and heaven 
is where your soul dwells. It's the only place it could be. It's not in your body. You could say there's an indwelling soul, but it's an extension, an emanation, if you will, a reflection, perhaps, of the spiritual soul that's already in heaven. Well, I don't know if you realize it, but this is the great heresy in Christianity. And Jews don't seem to care too much about this, but the Muslims don't like this idea either of the overshadowing soul or the pre-existing soul. It certainly would put a, a, a twist on abortion and the whole idea of when does life begin and when does it end and where do you go when you die, which may be nowhere. It's like if life is a reflection and quantum physics is tending to suggest it's all pixels, just like your computer screen, that picture may look real on your computer screen or printed in the magazine, but if you look closely, it's a bunch of little dots. And that life is an illusion is something that really wise women and men have been saying. But it doesn't mean that life doesn't matter, that it doesn't count, or that it's not important, but that it's basically a dream. It's a reflection of something even more substantial that is an energy rather than matter, that is spirit rather than mass. And again, this runs through all philosophy. Just dabble in a little bit of philosophy. Plato talks about this. The Neoplatonism of Plotinus discusses this. Um, my goodness, this is, uh, this is found in the mystical traditions of many religions. The idea that everything that exists physically is an extension or a reflection, an emanation or manifestation of something on a higher plane. That would mean your soul's already in heaven. And again, that sort of, you know, would throw a monkey wrench into the whole attitude that the church tends to have, whether it's Catholic or one of the 115 different kinds of Protestantism, Protestantism, or uh, or any other religion, whatever. They tend to put themselves between human beings and divinity. I am the church, I am the temple, I am the mosque. And uh, has it ever occurred to you that in England what they call the vicar is short for vicarious? The church wants you to have a vicarious experience uh, as an onlooker while it puts itself between you and God. Maybe what should be between you and your sense of the one life is your own overshadowing soul. And the church should serve the human so the human can serve its soul so that the soul can serve. That's the trinity, so that the soul can serve the ultimate spiritual deity, the source of the creator. I think the concept of God and the concept of soul are two of the areas where people are trying to redefine themselves. Uh, bottom line, from my point of view, spiritual but not religious is basically mysticism. 
it's people that understand, as this Steve Frazee says in his blog, love is the answer. God is love. It's all about learning to act like God, to be God-like, to love, to practice kindness and compassion and forgiveness. All right. And the question is you. Your job is, who are you? And as you come to understand yourself, then it's easier to face your fear in search of love. And who you are is one who transforms fear into love or ignorance into understanding. And that's essentially what mysticism is. A woman or a man that is seeking a harmonious, even unitive experience, a union or communion with the highest sense of divinity that's attainable, cosmic consciousness, enlightenment, nirvana, uh, heaven, samadhi, satori, uh, whatever you want to call it, where your awareness is flooded with a sense of unity, of wholeness. And for many people, that's all the religion they need. So let's go to the questions here. Let me get back to my website and check to see who's on the phone. I've got a bunch of people calling. I don't see any hands raised, though, so let me go to the um, webcast sign. Give me just a minute to get over here and find the Q&A section. Bring that up, refresh the screen, and see who's here this morning. We have Carol Postel from La Habra. Hello, Carol. She's with us seemingly every week. It's always nice to see you here, Carol. Thank you. She just says hello, Michael. Hello, Doreen. Aloha, Carol. In uh, Kentwood, Michigan, my friend Craig says, spiritual folks uh, tend to seem to live what they believe more often than religious people who seem to preach what they believe <laughs> more than they live it. Why? That's a great question. I don't, I don't really know. All I can do is guess. Yeah, I'm sure you would admit that's a generalization. doesn't apply, of course, to everyone. But that's a great observation. I think the problem is that religious people are being told, or maybe they just presume, that the work is being done for them by the church. Again, the vicar, vicarious. The church is saying, hey, we'll handle the understanding part. All you have to do is follow. I mean, you are sheep after all, right? It's funny. Uh, I think when Christ uses the reference to sheep and shepherd, um, or even the lion laying down with the lamb, we're talking about sheep being kind and gentle and peaceful and loving, not blindly following, but <laughs> that's what 
it's come to mean, right, to be like sheep and to to be a follower and do what you're told and believe what you're told. And again, I think that's part of what people are beginning to reject about organized religion. I don't like being treated like I'm, you know, a follower, like I'm a moron and have no mind of my own. But those who find religion appealing may be, largely anyway, those people that don't want to read the Gospels, that don't want to read the Holy Literature, that aren't willing to set aside the time, especially in the West, in the United States and Europe, don't have time for this. I don't do my own taxes. I go to H&R Block. I hire a guy to do this. By the way, happy tax day. They're due tomorrow, right? Um, I hire somebody to clean my house. I pay a guy to wash my car. And I've got these church people over here. They they know. They understand. They figured it out. I, I don't have to know it. And so the follow-on is, what am I supposed to to do? How do I live my religion? I don't know. By all accounts, Christianity is a religion of peace. For hundreds of years, Christians were all pacifists. They were slaughtered by the Romans because they refused to fight, even for their freedom as slaves. They refused to fight gladiators for the circuses that the Romans would put on. They said, we don't fight. We, we, we don't go to war. The early church fathers said, Christians can't go to war. That Christian can't be a soldier any more than a priest could be a soldier. Well, that was until the church formed. And then by the 4th and 5th century, as the church forms, what's the first thing it does? Raise an army. The church army, (laughs) Christian soldiers, onward, Christian soldiers. Well, what's that got to do with blessed are the peacemakers? Or the meek will inherit the earth. Or turn the other cheek, forgive your enemies. Nothing. Again, one of the reasons people are rejecting the church, it's just too 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 hypocritical. It's a great question. And I wish we could uh, sit down and talk about it. I miss you, Craig, and it's great to, to hear from you. Back there in Michigan, happy springtime. In San Francisco, Scott Schroeder is with us. And Scott says, the understanding in most religions that God is separate from us befuddles me. Think how we could all grow if we grew to understand that we are part of the whole and the whole is part of us. Yeah, that's panentheism. Um, This is not well understood. Sometimes pantheism is thought of, well, pantheism is clearly more than God equals nature. It just means in every seemingly separated thing, is part of the divine. Sometimes panentheism is described as the complement. Not only is divinity in all those things, but all those things are in the one God. 
my understanding of panentheism is that it's both of those things. As Scott's saying, the divine is in all things, and all things are divine, are in the one. The one is in everything, and everything is in the one. Isn't that great? Okay? That's panentheism. Christians reject all of that. Don't believe any of that. God is in heaven, and you're bad. You're a rotten sinner, horrible. Oh, and it's Eve's fault. Boys, when I was a little boy, that just drove me crazy. I kept protesting. I didn't do anything. And they say, oh, yeah, you did. No, I didn't. Uh, yeah, I was raised a Catholic. We had to make stuff up. <laughs> Catholics know exactly what I'm talking about. They send the little children to confession. We have to invent sins because we didn't do anything wrong. We're just sweet little kids. It's horrible. It's child abuse. <laughs> anyway, I shouldn't laugh. It really is child abuse. Uh, you know, you can't, at least I couldn't go through years of of therapy, understanding myself and the traumas of childhood uh, without sharing the blame with the church and the abuse. I was never fondled or touched, fortunately, but I was emotionally abused by the teaching that I'm this bad, rotten sinner. You know, sin just means to miss the mark. It's a mistake. It means, oops, it means you... You don't call a, a, a child in junior high school a sinner because they're not in high school yet, right? <laughs> Scott goes on, he said, uh, reading the allegories in the Bible is confusing too. It's written in a way to uh, hear what we're ready to hear. And the problem is that we look to someone else to decipher or enter Oh, or interpret, I see, uh, or interpret these stories for us rather than thinking about it on our own. Yeah, exactly. You don't have to understand it. We'll figure it out for you. Teach you again. Really, soul robbing. That's what churches tend to do. They rip your soul out from its place between you and divinity, that middle ground, that Christos or Buddha nature, and put themselves in there and degrade the soul by saying, oh, that's some part of you that is bad. And I remember in the Baltimore Catechism, the two milk bottles, one was dirty, that's you, the dirty milk bottle, and then here's the clean milk bottle, which is after confession. Whew. Unbelievable. Um, Catholic Church especially is in big trouble with this uh, sex abuse scandal and the cover-up. The cover-up's even worse than, don't you think? The cover-up's even worse than uh, the sexual abuse. In Los Angeles, Baroness by the Sea is with us today, and she says, Aloha, Michael. Excellent segment. See you after June 9th for the Thursday webinar. Yeah, I haven't been on the Thursday uh video conference for a couple of weeks. I'm going to do my best to make that uh, this week. Thanks, Yvonne. Phil Joffe in Canoga Park. He says, uh, greetings. 
to you and Doreen and Steve and Teresa and uh, Jason. I'm not sure who Jason is, but if I see him, I'll tell him you, you said hi. And many congratulations to your older nephew on his Emmy nomination. Oh, you saw that on Facebook. Yeah. My brother's boy, Michael, has been nominated for a regional Emmy by the Northwest chapter of uh, the Academy for uh, a news story he did in Portland, Oregon. And Phil says, otherwise, uh, nothing new for you. That's about it. Thanks, Phil. Thanks for being here. Uh, let's see. In Arcadia, Judy Kraft says, Aloha, Michael. Thanks for explaining separation. Great class. My reason tells me we are all connected. That's great. Uh, Doreen, my beautiful wife, down the hall, says, please say hello to everyone. She also says, you rock. Thank you, darling. I appreciate that. Bruce Chambers in Brookings, Oregon. Aloha, Bruce. He says, aloha. Thank you, Michael. Enjoying the class today. Encouraging to know that a growing percentage of people are engaging in critical thinking while continuing to seek spiritual understanding and self-awareness. Yeah, well said. Well said. On the San Francisco, Scott says, do you feel that religious substitutes, oh, that religions, here we go, forgive my tired old peepers, do you feel that religions substitute personal responsibility with dogma, ritual, and binary thinking? Dogma, ritual, and binary thinking. Yeah, most definitely. <laughs> yeah. If uh, I think there is an element of personal responsibility in religious dogma, but I don't think it's a complete and full understanding. It's just the emphasis is so negative and so fear-based telling people again and again what rotten, horrible people they are, and ignoring those references. Not everybody. Again, we're generalizing. We're talking about why are people leaving the church. Many are staying. And great, you know, if, if that fills them, if that's enough, fine. So... I think the church is saying you're responsible for your badness and you really ought to be better. But the idea that you're in the image of God, that you're a divine creature, and so is your puppy dog and your kitty cat, and so is that tree and that bush and those flowers and, and the sky, the clouds, the ocean, the fishes, the whales are divine. All of them are expressions of God. That is God. You see, that, that, that mystical concept is beginning to creep into the awareness of people. It's as if the divine source is working in the subconscious mind to awaken the individual to it's awareness of the reality around it. As I say, 
in the newsletter, God can't do our homework for us. But he could sit down at the table and help us out. He could say, well, you know, you help your kids with your homework. There's no point in doing the homework for them. They don't learn anything. But you could say, well, have you considered this? Did you look at that? Well, what if we set it up this way? Would that help you understand? And if you listen to those whispers in your ear, if you allow yourself to get quiet, even if you refuse to do a formal meditation, even for five or ten minutes, if you just don't stare out the window and allow yourself to get quiet for a little while, let those thoughts go from eight or ten ideas yelling at you at the same time down to six, and then maybe four, and then maybe only two thought voices arguing, and then maybe only one. Maybe then you focus on the gaps between the thoughts. And similarly, your emotional nature begins to calm and quiet. Okay. Something remains. And its nature is intuitive. It's a feeling. It's not an emotional feeling. It's not a physical feeling, though emotional feelings and spiritual feelings are felt in the body. That's why they're called feelings. But you've got to still the body. Reduce the stimulus around you. Quiet things. Breathe, relax, let go of the tension. Get a teacher, read some books. Stay tuned, we'll do it here. We do one of these in every one of our premium audio programs, too. A guided imagery, a visualization, a meditation, a contemplation. Okay. And I do private work by telephone and Skype also. If you really want to join the serious people, send me an email or call my service. Get serious about this. Invest in yourself. Right? the small amount of time and this, frankly a small amount of money to something that really, really matters. We put all of our energy investing into material stuff that you're going to lose. Every single bit of it, you're going to lose. <laughs> Talk about being in denial. What about putting a little bit of attention on what you keep at the end, what you take with you, who you are? You see, just my thoughts on it. Um, let's see, I've got uh, a couple of more here. Uh, Chris Schaefer in Glendale. He's asking me about something I can't even pronounce and don't know anything about. The Anunnaki, Anunnaki, I don't, that doesn't ring any bells for me, Chris. It it sounds like it may be an Eastern thing, but I have not seen that word before. He says, they help me out by keeping me from drinking too much. I believe the faceless ones that 
look like mud are God. I, again, I, boy, if you could send me an email on that, mb at theagelesswisdom.com, I'd love to learn about that, find out what you're talking about. Uh, out of Pittsburgh, PA, John Bowles says, Aloha, Michael. Hello, Johnny. Bob Fiegel and Irvine, Aloha, Michael. Great class. Have a great week. Magical week, he says. Uh, Rick in Manteca, California, Aloha, Michael. He says, I was not raised Catholic, but I've known so many that were. And you're speaking the absolute truth. Great topic. Well, I don't know. My Catholic family would not agree with you and me. They love that stuff. I know my brother loves the pageantry. <laughs> it, it helps them. To, you know, religion does help people to feel spiritual, to, and, and you've got to respect that. Remember, everybody deserves dignity and respect, no matter what you think of their beliefs. That's How could we call ourselves spiritual? Again, it's not a destination or a place to be spiritual. It's, I'm in school. I'm working on it. I'm trying. <laughs> right? uh, so there is no there there. You can't get there. Checking the phones, I do not see any hands raised. So let's do a little guided imagery, a little meditation. We'll call it a day. Close your eyes and relax. Get comfortable if this is a good time for you. Loosen up with some shoulder shrugs and head rolls and then sit straight, not rigid, but nicely balanced. And take a couple of slow, deep breaths. Ideally through the nose, really get oxygenated. Inhaling through the nose, pulling in strength and power as you peak. And as you exhale, Go beyond where you'd normally stop and feel a letting go as you exhale. And after three or four of those, allow your breathing to find its natural rhythm. And with your eyes closed, begin to create and sense a letting go feeling in your body. Closed eyes, relaxed breathing, relaxed muscles. The three most important elements in meditating, just relax, let go. Just like you do when you go to sleep, only you're going to float in between awake and asleep. And instead of feeling drowsy or sleepy, you're actually going to find that you're more alert. And if you're new to this, the mind might take advantage of it and run away with all kinds of thoughts. Many people say, oh, I just can't meditate because I can't stop my thinking. Good news is you don't have to stop your thinking to meditate. Rather, you practice meditation to learn to slow down your thoughts. It happens automatically. It's called a practice. And so, 
As you continue to feel safe and relaxed, the fears and the anxieties and the stresses that drive all of those thoughts fall away. And with them, the thoughts that those fears and stresses and anxieties generate. And your emotional nature begins to calm as you lift your awareness now, allowing me to guide you to the bottom of your nose and gently and effortlessly simply watch the in-breath and the out-breath as you allow your body to breathe itself all by itself. And if you did nothing else for five or ten minutes, for twenty minutes or more, just sat here feeling safe and relaxed, letting go of your thoughts, letting go of any emotional turmoil, distress or upset. Just practice letting go of all of that. Put it down. And simply watch your breath as you would watch the waves at the shoreline of the ocean or a lake. Watch the breath roll in, crash on the beach, and as you exhale, see the water drain down the beach and back into the sea. Remember when you were a little kid and you used to lay on your back in the grass. Spread eagle, put your arms out. You can easily imagine doing that now. Feel the coolness of the grass and how the earth supports you from head to toe as you imagine laying back this beautiful green lawn and look up at the sky and watch the clouds. Maybe initially like we did as kids, you see shapes and forms in those clouds. But pretty soon, you let go of that as well. And just watch the cloud. And I'd suggest you consider now the willingness of the cloud to go whichever way the wind blows. And call that freedom. Freedom for the cloud is not a willful, determined nature. Freedom for the cloud is a willingness to cooperate 
to accept the reality of the wind's direction. Could you be that free? And consider accepting your life exactly as it is right now, not as a place to give up, but as a place to begin. To be as free as that cloud. as a place to begin to set goals for yourself. And in particular, self-growth, self-improvement, discerning what is lovable about you, why do your friends like you? Why do they love you? Why do the people who say, I love you, feel that way? Now, initially, your ego will take credit for this. But let that go. And consider that what is most lovable about you has nothing to do with the ego, with your willpower or volition, your determination to be that separated, lonely, and alienated individual, better than some, not as good as others. Let go of all of that nonsense. And be as free as the cloud. I'll bet the cloud is not even concerned with its existence. Today it's a cloud. An hour from now it might be rain. Soon after that, it could be a puddle in the street a river, or part of the great ocean. Soon it could be evaporated again and become humidity, perhaps as it rises, condensing once again into a cloud. It's okay. Whatever you think of yourself you're more than that and it's okay women and men wiser than me have said in all cultures all societies and at all times that what we're really afraid of is not that we're bad or weak or wrong inadequate or insignificant, what really scares us is our magnificence and the implications of being that wonderful. But it's only scary when you don't understand it, when you 
refuse to accept it, open to it, let it in? What if I really was okay? What if I, what if I'm fine the way I am? What if I really am in the image of whatever created this whole magnificent universe? What does that mean? That I'm a bad, rotten, horrible sinner? Or that I'm a child of this divinity? with all that potential within me, most of it untapped, undiscovered, hidden away. If only I would set aside 10 or 15 minutes once a day to contemplate and reflect. 10 or 15 minutes a day to read some inspiring literature to remind myself to be mindful and aware in the moment, free from judgment. Yeah, free from judging. Even if only for a few minutes in a busy day. Now turn your attention to how you feel physically. And if there are areas of discomfort or concern in your body, take a nice, slow, deep breath, inhaling fully. Pause as you peek, and as you now exhale slowly, send that breath into that area of concern. In fact, do it a second time. Take another nice, big, full, deep breath. And then as you exhale, slowly and gently breathe into your area of discomfort or concern. And imagine the healing accelerated, the natural and normal healing accelerated, focused, amplified. Send light and love to that area. If it's injured or it hurts, it's an area in you that is helpless and frightened. So give it a hug. That area of your body. Comfort that area of your body as if it were a little child having just had a bad dream or a nightmare. Embrace it. Make it feel safe. Emotionally, check in. How do you feel emotionally? And do the same thing. Take a nice, slow, deep breath, and as you exhale, breathe into your heart. And if you have emotions that are scary, stressful, or hurt, anger, fear, worry, nervousness, doubt, contempt, 
hatred, even apathy. Breathe into your belly. If you're really angry, breathe into your groin and set those emotions free. Say to yourself, I am safe. Everything is okay. Actually, I'm doing just fine. Speaking to the body, speaking to the brain, speaking to the subconscious mind, giving it instruction, suggestion, guidance. Because it's probably been listening to some voices in your head that have been saying some pretty scary things, maybe some pretty negative stuff. Be the one that reassures. Be the love. Breathe. Relax. And bring this with you, this affect, gently and effortlessly as you reorient yourself to the sound of my voice, remembering, bringing to mind now what you'll see in just a moment when you finally open your eyes. Inhaling another nice, big, slow, deep breath. Fill your lungs, hold as you peak. And now, as you exhale, ah, open your eyes, wide awake, alert, back in the room, feeling fine, all rested and recharged and revitalized, feeling better than before. All right, welcome back. Thanks very much for joining us for the Mystery School today. We're here every Sunday afternoon, 1 o'clock Pacific, 4 o'clock in the east. You're in the middle. Do the math. 20 hours. <laughs> 20, I cracked myself up. 20 hours GMT, universal coordinated time. And uh, remember to mail your taxes. I don't know why they gave us to the 18th. This year, it's always been the 15th, but you get to Monday, I think. Anyway, I enjoyed today, and I hope you did, too. I'd love to hear from you. Send me an email at MB, my initials, MB, for Michael Benner, MB at TheAgelessWisdom.com with suggestions for topics or comments you didn't want to share with anybody, I don't know, anything you have to say. If you'd like to inquire about private counseling by telephone or Skype, I do a lot of that. I love it. Enjoy it. can even record it for you and supply you with a recording of that so you can listen again and again. I'll counsel if you got a problem. I'll train you if you're doing just fine but want more. I'll coach you if you've already been counseled and trained and need somebody on your side with the expertise to help you grow personally and spiritually. Right? No dogma, no ritual, no ceremony, no nonsense. A lot of listening. What do you think? And then a little guidance. Through the wisdom traditions of the ages, the ageless wisdom from all cultures and all societies. 
And check out the premium program that we sampled for you at the top of the class today. 99 cents a week. Yeah, I'm sure you got it, right? I know you're underpaid and overworked, but you can come. It's pocket change. When you subscribe, three ninety six a month, right? Three dollars and ninety six pennies a month, or with a free account at focusedpassion.com, you can buy individual programs for less than five bucks, four ninety five. Choose from the archive by topic of more than a hundred and seventy programs. You need a free account to get in there, so go to Focused Passion, click on the button that says Get Free Sample Programs, and there's a radio button at the top. Just engage that. It says, just send me the free stuff. Or if you want to subscribe, click on that one. The form will open up, and in addition to just your email and your name, you'll be able to enter your credit card, debit card information, right? Or again, if you click the top radio button, it collapses and goes back to just name and email for the free account. Then you can buy the individual programs for four ninety five. Listen to the six free sample programs that you get. They'll be on the built in player on that website. You can also send them to your podcast folder with a single click in your iTunes program or other podcatcher. You can click on the RSS button. Every browser, Internet Explorer, Firefox, Safari, Opera, all of the browsers have these RSS readers for listening to audio. And uh, you can click on that. It's so easy, so easy to do. I'd hate for you to miss out. And in the future, I think I'll give you a little two- or three-minute samples of our premium audio studio quality with Steve and me, so that if you're not yet a sustainer, if you haven't subscribed yet to, to the engine that drives all of this, you, know, you can find out what you're missing. Okay. Focusedpassion.com and my website, theagelesswisdom.com. Both sister sites, bookmark them both. And again... Send me an email or give me a call. Leave me a message anytime, 24-7 on my phone. It's in L.A., 818-569-3017. That's 569-3017 in the 818 area code. Remember to subscribe to this podcast, too. Then you'll always have it, even if you miss a show. Uh, thanks for being here Talk to you next week. Have a wonderful rest of the day today and a, and, a, and, a, and a great week. Every day, every week, better and better and better. Every day in every way. Be gentle, love life, and take care of each other. This is Michael Benner. Aloha from Maui. <laughs>